Well, good morning, and it's always a joy to be with you. And I just want to also say thank you for being so welcoming and gracious uh, to the folks at Pillar Baptist Church who have been visiting the island for these past couple months. Uh, I've been told many times uh, that for them, uh, that attending the worship service here was the highlight of their trip. And so again, just again, speaks to the kind of gospel ministry that you have here at Hawaii Kai Church. And if you're visiting, it's great that you're here to worship uh, with us. What a great way to spend your vacation, worshiping the Lord, right? Uh, with that, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, and that's to Luke chapter 2, verse 39. It was always my intention to bring this passage in the Gospel of Luke to you, and it just so happened that Pastor Dan ended in Luke chapter 2, verse 38, and uh, God works in mysterious ways. And so I'm just going to continue the series that Pastor Dan and Pastor Dave have been preaching here. Well, before we begin, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come now to the preaching and the hearing of your word. And we understand that it is your word and not man's word. And we ask that you might cause us to submit to your word that you might illumine our minds and our hearts, that you might give us understanding, that we might grow. Father, we thank you for this worship service. We thank you that we can now hear it, hear your word. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, Luke gives a special insight by giving us a rare look into the life of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. No other gospel writer provides us with this particular account. While Matthew, Mark, and John are based largely on the personal witness of Jesus' ministry, Luke is rather different. As the only Gentile author of the New Testament, he had to investigate and research and the information regarding Jesus for himself. And that meant talking to and interviewing eyewitnesses of the Lord. And high on his priority list of individuals to interview was obviously Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so from Jerusalem, he took a taxi cab and went on a 90-minute drive up north to Nazareth. You know, one of the things that surprised me when I was in Nazareth a few years ago is that when the taxi driver got off the highway exit, the entrance to Jesus' hometown was at H&M and Zara's clothing store. I had no idea that Jesus' family shopped there. But of all the stories that could have been written down for our instruction, the boy Jesus and the earliest miracles, the boy Jesus with his younger siblings or the boy Jesus in his father's woodshop provided for us in Holy Scripture is the story of the boy Jesus in the temple. And I can just imagine Luke sitting across from Jesus' mother Mary asking her, Mary, what is the most memorable moment that you have of Jesus Christ as a boy? And I imagine her response was something like this, when I lost the Messiah, when I lost the very Son of God. But you see, the story for Mary wasn't so much about losing Jesus. That's not really the information that she wanted Luke to know. But I think it's because the incident taught her not about losing Jesus, but rather about finding Jesus for who he really was. And that's why Luke says at the end of chapter 2, verse 51, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. 
It was the moment in her life that she came to know more of Jesus Christ. And this morning, it's my hope and prayer that the same would be true of you and for me, that we would come to know more of the Savior. Well, I have a few headings for us to outline the the narrative, the passage here, which I'll provide for you as we go. Well, the first is this, and it's the growth of Jesus. This is what Luke wants to tell us in these first two verses here, beginning in verse 39. Look with me in your Bibles. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And so Luke sets the stage here for us by telling us that the family had made their way back to Nazareth. It was a pretty hectic first year for these new parents. Gave birth in Bethlehem. And as Bob read earlier, escaped to Egypt from Herod, went to Jerusalem to go through all the requirements of having a a Jewish boy, and finally they were able to come back home to the area of Galilee in the town of Nazareth. And it's here, verse 40, that Jesus grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now the statement that Luke makes here is something for which we will never fully grasp even through eternity. He summarizes the whole of Jesus' childhood into this one single verse. And he says that Jesus grew. And that's something that we can't simply dismiss. That he who is the image of the invisible God, that he in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that he for whom all things were created through him and for him, that the second person of the Godhead grew. He grew. That he grew physically and intellectually. That he grew spiritually and relationally. And that ought to be the subject of our meditation as Christians. Now, we can more easily understand his physical growth, right? We know that when God the Son became man, he took on a real human body. He grew tired and hungry. He needed to eat and sleep. And he went through all the normal stages of physical development from infancy to adulthood. And this is part of what we mean when we say that Jesus became a man. But this isn't all that we mean. It's because Jesus grew not only physically, but also intellectually. And I think this is the aspect of Jesus' growth that perplexes us the most. That just as his body grew, so did his mind. And so how is it that the perfect and holy, sovereign and transcendent God could be at any point in time unaware or not knowing? When Jesus came as a baby, he didn't have knowledge of everything and anything. His mind was that of a baby. He had to make out certain colors. He had to figure out certain images. A few years later, he had to learn how to count to 10. He had to learn his alphabet. He had to grow. He had to learn. He had to observe. He had to understand. And yet, we're still stuck asking, how is it that the God of the universe had to grow? And develop in understanding. Herein lies the great doctrine of the incarnation. And that the Son of God placed 
the exercise of his all-powerfulness and his all-presence and his all-knowingness under the direction of his Father. It's not that he gave up those attributes, but rather the exercise of them in his life over to the Father. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. That though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is not only the great doctrine of the incarnation, but the great mystery of it. That infinite God became finite man and is beyond our understanding. That God the Son would subject himself to his own creation and to its physical laws. That God the Son emptied himself in order to experience the development of his mind. And so, again, Jesus had to observe and learn. He had to remember and apply, and he had to study, and he had to grow. And if we have any doubt about this, we need to simply look at what Luke says in chapter 2, verse 52, in that it says, Jesus increased in wisdom. And so what infinite condescension, it was for God the Son to become man with all the limitations of our humanity except for sin. And this is, what, this is the part of what he suffered for our sake. He did so in order that he could sympathize with our weaknesses. He understood what it was like to go through the growing pains of life. You know, if you're in high school here, can you raise your hand for me? If you're in high school, do you have any high school students? I see a little five-year-old, he's like, that's me. <laughs> Sometimes when we're young, Whatever we might be going through, we feel like no one understands. We feel like no one understands. Well, Jesus understands. No one knows you like Jesus. We think that our circumstances are always unique only to ourselves. And sometimes we turn from Jesus believing that even Jesus doesn't understand. And I think we do that in part because we have a broken view of the incarnation. Well, as Luke informs us of the growth of Jesus beginning in verse 41, Luke goes on to tell us here the second heading of our outline, and it's a story about the search for Jesus. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And so going to Jerusalem was an annual occurrence for Jesus and his family. Now, I want you to notice something very briefly, something about Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary that they made sure that their family prioritized the worship of God. They went every year for the feast of Passover. This is the home, or this was the home in which Jesus was raised. The environment that surrounded this boy was one that was conducive of spiritual growth. And his parents, they didn't take the fact that Jesus was the Christ in any way for granted. They saw to it that they would set an example for their son by placing the worship of their God above all else. And so you see, God was using Joseph and Mary as pivotal instruments in Jesus' development. And if you're a parent here, you ought to be asking this very question. Am I spiritually developing my child, my children? 
or am I hindering their spiritual growth? Am I, by my actions and by my words, drawing my son, my daughter, away from the Lord Jesus or rather towards the Savior? Am I teaching my children that God is more important than anything else? Again, if you're vacationing here and you're on a trip with your family, again, I'm just so encouraged that you're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, setting an example for your children that God is more important than anything else. Parents, when we stop our work and when we stop our play and when we gather with the family of God to worship Him, we declare with our lips and with our lives that God is more important to us than anything else in this world. Amen. And this was the resolve of these two parents. Look at verse 42 here. And when he was 12, they went up according to custom. Jesus, again, was familiar with his annual family trip. It was a trip that he took not only with his parents, but with a large caravan of other family members and neighbors from Nazareth. This is how the people of old often traveled for the sake of safety. Now, although Jesus took this trip to Jerusalem every year, this, this year was different from all other years. He was 12, and that was significant. Because in another year, he would be 13. And in the eyes of the law, he would be a bar mitzvah, literally a son of the commandment and a full participant of the Passover feast. And the Mishnah suggested that when a boy turned 12, it was time for him to go up to Jerusalem with his father to prepare and learn the rituals of the Passover which is why I believe it says that they went up, verse 42, according to custom. And so here was the boy Jesus, filled with energy and excitement. This was the year for him to learn what it meant to be a man of God. And when Jesus arrived in the city, the streets of Jerusalem, they would have been crammed with over 200,000 pilgrims. There would have been a traffic of people, merchants lining the streets, selling goods for the Passover, countless sheep being dragged and carried. And it was Jesus walking with his father through the streets, eyes wide open, soaking everything in. And he would have followed his father to the temple to worship and to pray. And when it hit three o'clock in the late afternoon, the sacrifices began. Along with a vast group of worshipers, Jesus would have heard the trumpet blast to then see his father Joseph in concert with all the other worshipers slaughter the family lamb. And the priests came and caught the blood in their basins, sprinkled the blood upon the altar. And when it was over, Joseph took the lamb, took the lamb back home to the room that the family had rented in the city. The food was prepared and when the sun went down, the Passover meal was consumed. And as they ate it, it was tradition for one of the children to ask the ceremonial question, Father, why is this night different from all other nights? And Joseph would have recounted to his eldest son the story of the Exodus, how God rescued his people from slavery, delivered them from Egypt. And that night would have ended rather pretty late, with many of the people returning back to the streets of Jerusalem, for more celebration, returning back to the temple for more worship. And as 12-year-old Jesus finally went to sleep, you can just imagine all that was going on in his mind. As the images of the Passover danced 
in his heart and in his soul. Every aspect of the day had filled him from observing the sacrifice to the eating of the Passover meal. His mind connected scripture with scripture. And here on this particular trip to Jerusalem, his heavenly father had revealed more and more of the mystery of who he was. And the week flew by for Jesus. His young mind was completely absorbed with the Passover and the temple and the Torah, and he could not get enough. So much so, verse 43, that when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And Luke tells us that his parents did not know it. And they didn't know it because in a typical traveling caravan, the women and the children, they often traveled first and the men trailed behind. And maybe because Jesus was 12 and he's a little bit older, it was probable that Mary thought that Jesus was with Joseph and Joseph thought that Jesus was with Mary. And they weren't able to text each other or call each other, right? But they had to wait until the end of the night when all the travelers reconvened with each other to sleep for the night. And it appears that this is what happened. Verse 44. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began a search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Well, at the end of the day, Mary and Joseph, they meet up. And they would have given each other the look. Uh, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. And soon the sense of panic began to kick in. Jesus! Jesus! And they're looking for Jesus all throughout the camp. Did anyone see Jesus? I can see Mary approaching Elizabeth, her cousin. Did you see Jesus? No, ask John the Baptist. Well, he wasn't John the Baptist as a child, but maybe he was off to the side eating some bugs. I don't know. <laughs> John, did you see Jesus? No, I did not see him. Mary and Joseph soon made their rounds throughout the camp, realized that Jesus was not in the caravan. And if I were Joseph, if you were Joseph, what would you have done? I would have prayed, dear Lord, help me find the Lord, right? <laughs> I'm in a lot of trouble right now. Verse 45, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And so Jesus' parents make the one-day journey back to Jerusalem. Now remember, it's been two whole days, a whole day traveling and a whole day coming back. And if you're a mom and if you have kids, can you imagine your child in the city for two days by themselves? What did they eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? But more so, where did they sleep, you know? I don't know about you. I don't know. Have you ever lost your child? Raise of hands. Oh, I feel better. Uh, I've lost my youngest. Uh, her name's Coco. I've lost her a few times at Target when she was about two or three. And you know, for us as parents, we have our phones and I'm texting or I'm looking at some kind of breaking Laker news and I look up, and my child's gone. And I'm one not to panic. I'm pretty relaxed, you know, and I'll just kind of go to the next aisle. Okay. You know, I'll go to the next aisle. Okay. And you start to panic. I'm going to die. My wife's going to kill me. And finally, after about three minutes, it seems like an hour of searching, I just hear, hey, dad, she's over here. And it's a random lady holding my daughter's hand saying that she's here. 
And I go, thank you, I'm not going to die today. But if you can imagine Mary and Joseph, the anxiety, the worry, the fear, the panic as they made their way back to Jerusalem. How large was the ache in Mary's heart as she worried about her boy. And she must have thought about the prophecy from Simeon back in Luke chapter 2, verse 35, that a sword would pierce through her own soul. And she must have been asking, is this it? Is something terrible going to happen to my boy that will forever scar my heart? Is this the sword that will pierce through my soul? Well, when they reached Jerusalem, we don't know how long they searched for Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, a few hours, but they checked the hotel and they checked the house of friends and they go straight to the temple and they finally find Jesus, which leads us to our third and final heading, the interrogation of Jesus. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. Now for all the drama of Joseph and Mary looking for Jesus, Luke grammatically hints to us that the turmoil wasn't the point of the story. It's because the main verb in the entire story can be found in verse 43, that when the feast was ended and as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Jesus stayed behind. That's the main idea of the story. Not that Jesus was left behind, but that Jesus stayed behind. And here he was. And Luke says that he was among the teachers of Israel. And notice what he was doing. The 12-year-old, he was not preaching a sermon. Nor was he giving a Bible study from the Old Testament. But rather he was, verse 46, listening to them and asking them questions. In other words, beloved, he was growing Jesus was growing. He wanted to learn as much as he could about the scriptures. And so he was irresistibly drawn to the house of God. And he was there not exercising his omniscience, but rather his meekness as God the Son sat under the teaching to learn from mortal men. And here was Jesus growing and learning and increasing in wisdom. But think about that development for a moment. His mind free from any sin. It was unhindered by any depravity. It was able to reach full capacity. His development was unlike anyone else who had walked the earth. His knowledge and understanding exponentially maturing. Look at verse 47. And all who heard him, they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. You see, as he was listening and asking questions, he was processing and he was connecting all that he had learned up to that point. Here was Jesus fulfilling what Psalm 119 had set out to do. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. You see, the Jewish scholars had never come across a young boy like this. A boy who had this kind of exceptional understanding of theology, this kind of incomparable ability to apply it to life. And the questions he gave were so perceptive. The answers he gave were so lucid that all were amazed. But here came mom and dad. Verse 48. 
And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Well, Mary and Joseph, they were astonished. Well, how so? It's because they found their son. He had been missing for two days, calmly talking among the teachers of Israel, dialoguing over the word of God. But soon their relief turned to frustration. You know, you ever get mad at your kids or they do something really dangerous and you're like, oh no, don't do that. And they're safe and you're like, oh. And then you get mad. You're like, hmm, right? It just changes just like that. And this was Joseph and Mary. Relief soon, soon turned to frustration. And I can imagine Mary interrupting this holy fellowship. Jesus, what are you doing? And she literally said, in suffering pain, we were searching for you. And we can easily understand Mary's outburst and the reprimand of her son in front of the teachers. She obviously considered Jesus to have sinned here. But Mary's 12-year-old son didn't think so. You see, Mary, though we can appreciate her affection for her son and her anxious concern for his safety, she was still coming to understand the Savior. In the same way, there's times in which the disciples of Jesus, they were frustrated with Jesus and they were still coming to understand the Savior. Remember that time of the boat? It was during the storm and Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples said, Lord, wake up. We're about to drown. Don't you care? And if we're honest with ourselves, it's the same way we too, we too get frustrated with Jesus. Why won't you heal my husband of his cancer? Why did this tragedy have to happen to me? And we get frustrated with Jesus. And I think it's because of our own lack of understanding of who Jesus really is. Well, Jesus, he gives his answer, verse 49. And this is the earliest record of Jesus' words. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, why did Luke include, of all stories that he may have heard from Mary, why this one single story? It's because of what the boy Jesus said right here. It was the very reason why it was given to us in this gospel, in Holy Scripture. Jesus' words were monumental in that it revealed his true identity, that the very first words from the mouth of Jesus wasn't just words, but words of eternal significance. And it wasn't simply that it was just Jesus telling his parents, well, this is where I want to be, mom and dad. I want to be in the temple with the teachers to learn and to grow. No, but he said something here that never had been said before. Before all who were present, he called the temple my father's house. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Well, you need to know that the idea of the fatherhood of God in Scripture, in the Old Testament, is not new. There are at least a dozen places in Scripture that refer to God as a father, but it's more so of a concept rather than a personal relationship. 
Every time it's used, it's used in reference to the nation of Israel and never to an individual. God, the father of the nation of Israel. Israel referred to God as our father, but never did anyone say exclusively, my father. Moses, who built the tabernacle, never referred to God as my father. He never called the temple my father's house or the tabernacle my father's house. Neither did David, Israel's greatest king. He never called God as my father. Solomon, who actually built the temple, never called God my father. No one did, no one dared. And yet Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, looked at his mother and his father and before the teachers of Israel, and he said, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? What does it all mean, though? It means that Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, before he had become a bar mitzvah, a son of the commandment, he had come to understand that he was the son of God. That God was, in a unique and personal way, my father. A relationship far deeper a relationship more profound than anyone had ever experienced from the beginning, even in the garden. Jesus, at 12 years old, now knew that he himself was the Son of God, God become man. This was a watershed moment for the 12-year-old. The awareness of his divine paternity was revealed. And notice where it was revealed in the temple, the very heart of Israel's faith in the house of God as the manifest presence of God in the innermost room there in the Holy of Holies in the temple was there. Well, here was Jesus in the outer courts of that temple manifesting to those around him, God is my father, I am his only son. This is why Jesus had to be there. And he knew it as a 12-year-old boy. Didn't you know? Jesus was exactly where he needed to be, at the temple. Some people say that Jesus sinned against his earthly parents. He was not sinning against his earthly parents. He was not disobeying any instructions. He was right where he was supposed to be. Yes, they were his real earthly parents, but his real father was God in heaven. It was by divine obligation that he said, I must be in my father's house. The temple was God's dwelling place on earth and therefore it was a place for the son to commune with the father. And I, and I can just imagine from the point of 12 years and on just how much that father and son relationship grew throughout his life. Verse 52 says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so there was an ongoing increase in the relationship between the Father and the Son, if that is even conceivable. That Jesus, as he grew, he kept trusting the Father. He kept growing in his relationship to the Father. He kept maturing in his faith with the Father. And soon this child would become a man whose sights were set, whose purpose was clear, whose destination would come in the form of a cross. 
that as he formerly witnessed the slaughter of the family lamb, that he would be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as he hung there upon the cross, this Jesus who had enjoyed the love of his father, the fellowship of his father, the favor of his father, this Jesus who repeatedly referred to God as my father, he cried out, remember on the cross, not my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? But he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because this boy who had become a man felt the separation for the first time. He experienced the full wrath. He felt the pain of every sin upon which was laid on him. And that for you, Christian. You know, if you're not a Christian, this is the reason for which Jesus Christ came. It was to save you from your sins so that you who are estranged from God might call God your Father. That He might bring you into fellowship with His Father so that He might now be your Father. And if you're a Christian here this morning, can I ask you this question? How is your relationship with your Father? Not your earthly Father, but your heavenly Father. In the last year and a half, Have you grown closer or rather further apart from your father? Would this describe your Christian life? Robotic prayers before lunch, a begrudging reading of a few chapters, a declining conscience, a diminishing sense of the Holy Spirit, an unresponsive heart to his word, an absence of spiritual joy. You know, when I speak with Christians who confess that they're not growing, I ask them, well, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? Because you see, Jesus himself, he gave to us an example to follow, didn't he? That if the Son of God grew in knowledge and understanding and wisdom with his Father, who are we to think that we're above Jesus, that we don't have to grow? that if Jesus himself grew, how much more for you and I, Christian, that we ought to grow. You see, we ought to be not just Christians, but we need to be growing Christians. You know, if there's one thing that I learned this past year and a half, and I believe that I learned a lot of things. You know, I led our church through COVID and still in COVID, but I learned how to read COVID numbers and case rates and the efficacy of vaccines and masks, whether ineffective or effective. I read articles. I never read so much about science and the medical field in my life before that I call myself Dr. Danny now. (laughs) No offense to the doctors here. But what I learned the most was this, that if I am to grow, I need the church. I need the church. That I can only grow when I am in the body. That's how I'm going to grow. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 teaches us about how to grow. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so you see, beloved, it is more, more than ever, it is imperative that we, that you do not disconnect yourself from the church. That it is more pressing this Lord's Day than it was last Lord's Day that you got together. And it will be more pressing next Lord's Day than it is this Lord's Day that you get together. You see, as time goes by, for us as Christians, the church becomes more and more important. And for some of us, it's become less and less, sadly. Verse 50, and we'll end with this. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And I love how Luke says it like this, that Jesus, he really shows us the way, doesn't he? That for us as Christians, that we would grow like Jesus and that through humble submission to our Father. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the example that Jesus Christ has set before us. And we thank you that Christ has gone before us and that to the cross to save us from our sins. We pray for anyone here not knowing you, that you would bring them to a saving knowledge of the Savior, that they would repent and believe and give their lives to him. And I pray for us here, for those here at Hawaii Kai Church, that you would be growing, growing them and maturing them and sanctifying them. That they would desire to know more of you as the day draws near. We thank you for this word. We pray all these things. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.